Welcome to Courageous Conversations, a podcast exploring the intimate side of activism. I'm Gillian Riley. And I'm Jen Warren. And through these interviews, we seek to understand what it really takes to show up and make change during this critical time in history. In an effort to become more effective change makers. Yes. Ultimately, our aim is to promote authentic engagement as a vital component of social justice and social change. We're nearing the end of an amazing season supported by the Ford Foundation. And after interviewing these remarkable activists who've so courageously shared their stories, we decided to interview the funder supporting them, and specifically Nicolette Naylor, the woman behind the scenes at Ford Foundation's Southern Africa office. Nicolette Naylor is regional director for the Ford Foundation in Southern Africa, where she focuses the organization's grant making on human rights and governance, with particular emphasis on advancing the human and socioeconomic rights of poor and vulnerable populations. Before joining the foundation in 2007, Nicolette worked for the International Center for the Legal Protection of Human Rights, Interrights, in London, and served as a public interest lawyer at the Women's Legal Center in Cape Town, protecting and promoting women's rights. She is passionate about dismantling prejudice, inequality, and patriarchy, and supporting transformational organizations and social justice leaders, including those we've been privileged to interview on this podcast. Beyond all this, Nicolette is a powerful black woman who grew up in apartheid South Africa, a driven overachiever who speaks candidly about the personal cost of finally getting a seat at the table. I met Nicolette in her office in Johannesburg, surrounded by photographs of her with the likes of Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela. It was a setting that made this conversation about her journey from growing up in one of Cape Town's townships all the more striking. Hi, I'm Nicolette Naylor. I'm the Regional Director of the Ford Foundation Office for Southern Africa. I consider myself to be a fierce, passionate human rights lawyer, a feminist lawyer by training. But in my day job, I also think of myself as a leader that aims to inspire people in everything that they do. And I aim to bring out the best in people and the passion in people fighting for social justice. Beautiful. You know, here you are as this woman out there in the world trying to make change, meeting the Barack Obamas and the Cyril Ramaphosas of the world, and at the same time feeling deeply frustrated and ineffectual a lot of the times. You don't land in this chair and suddenly start changing the world. And we shouldn't be trying to change the world. We should be doing this job with a lot more humility. I think all the people you've been meeting, yeah. they out there changing the world. Yeah. We're catalyzing that change by giving people the resources to do that. And if I start thinking by being the director, I'm going to solve inequality and I'm going to solve the world's problems, then I think I'm going to be running into difficulties. But it does give you power. With money comes power. So mm. you have the power to help people, connect people, give people the space to grow, but I shouldn't be pretending that I'm going to solve problems of the world. Mm. I think problems of the world need to be solved by people on the ground, not mm. sitting in this office or in these chairs. That's not where the change is actually happening. A lot of the people that we've talked to refer back to some sense, even when they were younger, of a purpose or something they wanted to do in the world. Take us back to you. I believe a overachieving young woman, weren't you? <laughs> you were the A student. You were the top of the class. Yeah, I think my mother and father raised two overachiever daughters. Drove us really, really hard. 
to succeed. And I just think it's their context in terms of growing up under apartheid. So I'm old. I'm not as young as the people you've been interviewing. And when I started university, it was before the constitution even. (laughs) So I come from that generation where around me, seeing family, both my grandmothers were domestic workers. My aunts worked in factories, my uncle construction work. So my parents kept saying to me that to get anywhere in life, you're going to have to succeed at school. Education's important. My father had gone to university and was doing very well. And I saw how the rest of the family looked up to the fact that my mother married someone that had a university degree. And I saw how if you're working in a factory, you were at the mercy of the bosses of the factory. As domestic workers, you were at the mercy of your bosses and you could be fired at any moment in time. And that was a constant refrain in the family in terms of struggling to save enough money to make something of themselves. And my parents kept saying the way to do this is by doing really well at school. And that was a non-negotiable in our house. It was a scary part of our household. I remember coming seventh in class when I was in standard one There was about 40 people in a classroom on the Cape Flats and no facilities or anything. So coming seventh in class was like a nice thing for me. (laughs) And my father was so disappointed seeing the disappointment on his face and my mother's disappointment. And they were like, you have to work much harder. Over the holidays, you have to read more, you have to do more. It was like a huge disappointment that I did not come first or second in class. And ever since then, (laughs) I overachieved. To succeed in this world, the world is a tough place. You have to be much better than anyone else. And I think that's black women's stories in South Africa. Mm. You walk in the room, it doesn't help if you just got your law degree. You need to get the Dean's Award and be the top student to get the top job. So I feel like that's influenced me a lot in terms of a superwoman complex and an overachiever complex, which trips me up all the time and hasn't really served me well. To be the best, you miss a lot in trying to do all of that. What do you miss? You learn so much when you just let yourself fail. And I feel like my fear of failure is my biggest stumbling block, I think, as a leader. I have to just get comfortable. And I think the older I get, I think it's this post-40 moment where you just get comfortable with failing. And I always say, if I have children, I'll just let them be comfortable with not coming first in class. Just go play outside. Enjoy your holidays. Like, you don't have to read ahead. I really understand and I'm so grateful to my parents for pushing me the way they did, for giving me the drive and the obsessive, compulsive nature that I have now (laughs) to do really well and to do things thoroughly. And I understand that that came from a place of deep love and a place of not wanting me to end up the way others were in the community where we were growing up. So I get that. But I think it's held me back a lot in terms of my 20s and my 30s. I spent my life just climbing this ladder. If I think of university, the time I spent to be the top student and get the Dean's Award, does it really matter? No, it doesn't. I don't think that makes me a better lawyer than anyone else. It just means that it's built in me a work ethic that's a bit crazy. I recognize a lot of what you're describing, and I'm equally aware that there's another layer for you, which is the social, racial, cultural dynamic of that, which is, as you said, the always having to prove yourself, the endless identity and self-esteem 
yes dynamic that yes. as a woman I face but as a white woman I don't understand at all that it's like this hole that you're never going to fill. Yes. You're just always going to be trying yes. to kind of put things into it, but it'll never be full. You'll never be good enough. It'll never be right. Exactly. That's the pain that a lot of people can't relate to is you're always trying to make up for something that is who you are. I often thought at school, if I come first in class, then everything will be okay. <laughs> if I get the Dean's Award, if I land the top job at the big corporate firm, if I get the next promotion. But it's never enough. Mm. You still feel empty inside. Mm -hmm. I'm the regional director of the Ford Foundation office, but I have moments where I think someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, excuse me, you don't belong here. I'm going to be caught out that I'm just not good enough. Right. That oh. the sense of constantly wanting to be on top of my game with a fear that someone's going to say, well, actually, she's not that good, really. And you think that you're going to get to a certain age where you're going to just sit back and exhale and it's going to be okay. And I still have those moments where I walk into a room filled with white men and I feel like, am I good enough to be chairing this meeting or raising my hand and giving my viewpoint? That am I good enough and the flip side of that, I'm not good enough. That story that you tell yourself that you've done everything, you've ticked all the boxes, but actually you're not good enough. Do you think that that's a little story that's being told in the hearts and minds of so many South Africans that the white men in the room just don't even get? Because they've never, ever, ever told themselves that story. Yes. So they don't even know that you're telling it to yourself. And then they say, well, what's the problem? You're in the room. You're so at the table. You're at the table. <laughs> Haven't you got, you know, everything you want? Meanwhile, you're sitting there with a story that you inherited, which is you're not good enough. And that's why I think for young women, the South African example is so stark because I remember growing up in a time where we longed to go to the Wimpy restaurant, but it was whites only. Mm. And like the sense of not understanding why you couldn't go to a certain beach or why you couldn't go walk along the Sea Point promenade. And so the sense of being less than yeah. was there. You grew up with being less than and it raised your political consciousness, but deep down your psyche yeah. and then there's the gendered element of it and so as a woman and as a black woman the sense of I have to be better than everyone else in the room and no matter how much I prepare for something there's always a little voice in my head which I have to talk down when I was offered every single promotion that I've ever gotten in my life I've always said I don't think I'm ready yet and now when I reflect back I tell young women around me and young black women, take the opportunity, just take it. Telling young women that they are good enough. And that's been hard for me, being able to just say, I'm good enough. I can do this. And it's going to be okay if I make some mistakes. It's sort of this interior element of transformation that's so difficult. And I think is inside so much of the discussion that's taking place now. The seats are being created at the table, the positions are being opened up, but that interior part of the transformation that needs to occur within people where they genuinely feel like they are equals at the table. And yet you still carry around that same voice that says, you're not good enough because you came in seventh or whatever. <laughs> yes, it's, exactly. It's a difficult thing to communicate to other people. I've now started to think that you know, we just need a fundamentally different table. We need to redesign the table, actually. 
what makes me feel uncomfortable at that table is because am I the only woman at that table? Am I the only black woman at that table? How many people look like me at that table? And what's the power dynamic that's playing out at that table? I may have a seat at the table, but I'm going to be silenced and people are going to be speaking over me or I'm going to be speaking and no one's going to really be listening. And so I often find myself with a seat at the table, but not feeling as empowered as I'd like to be. And I just feel like maybe we need to tip this table over and just recreate our own tables and take up spaces and I draw inspiration from when I see young people in South Africa at the moment feminists being a lot more assertive about this is not acceptable versus my sense of being a lot more polite like let me see if I can just incrementally try to shift the way people at this table think. Part of what I'm thinking about as you're talking is the deep nature of transformation and maybe it is generational that people mm. have to just be raised with a different narrative that isn't the watching somebody go to a wimpy that you're not allowed into. You still carry that with you. Yes. If I look at the younger generation in my own family and the kinds of opportunities they have, the way they think about themselves, the way they carry themselves in the world yes. versus my sister and I being very nervous young children about being very scared of police officers. The township I grew up in, I'd never come across white people and sat in boardrooms and dealt with corporate deals. It was completely foreign to me. I remember hanging out in the messenger room and being able to connect more with the messengers in the law firm and the women that made the tea because that was the family and that was the way I'd grown up and the people I'd been with. That was my sense of reality, yet I was this black lawyer in the room. You talked about the political consciousness. What was yours at the time? Because you were at university during the new South Africa. Did you have a sense of contributing or participating in nation building or something bigger than your own story? My parents were very active politically. So I remember being very young and Nelson Mandela material was all banned. And so I said to my teachers that I would become a human rights lawyer like Nelson Mandela. So when listening to my family and factory workers and seeing marches and defiance campaigns happening and my parents being part of that. And as a young child, you'll see me in t-shirts with the abolish the death penalty campaign on my... Slight-hearted child. <laughs> Carefree. But I got good grades and there were other people. That was what we did the moment we were in. You have lived through an extraordinary time trying to show up authentically in places where you are profoundly quite othered is really challenging. The division in the country, the lack of people interacting and talking to each other, and the feeling of being a complete outsider, going from that political consciousness into the largest law firm at the time was stark. It was like early days. Growing up in the township, I never thought I needed the tools to navigate that space. And I struggled a lot and I found myself being silenced a lot. And I was so driven to show everyone that I was not going to be a troublemaker, that I was going to be a good girl. So I was obsessed with being better than everyone else and working the long hours and doing amazing things. It's like yeah. you just managed to open the door a little bit. As I grew in confidence, as I started to prove and people started to value my legal brain, 
that was helpful and that gave me a space to then start pushing a different kind of conversation. And I felt, is this what my purpose is? Right. And I didn't think that was my purpose. felt like I needed to do something else with my life. And as you're talking, I'm just feeling very conscious of that bind of the very narrow space of trying to prove yourself and succeed, you know, as an individual within that space of expectations, whilst being aware of the broader context that you might be trying to influence. It's also that succeeding, 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 and still feeling empty and not having a purpose. Yeah. And when you're suffering from imposter syndrome, you keep going down that path saying, if only I do that. I wish I had more mentors at that time. And that's what I try to do for younger women now to encourage the rocking of the boat. When you feel like you're going to start crying or you feel really passionate about something, don't swallow it down, say it. Like, it's okay to just speak up. I didn't have that. I didn't have the tools. What are the tools that allow any of us to enter into a situation and begin to challenge it, disrupt it, whilst at the same time, because most of us do want to succeed on some level, most of us want to be good or good enough, but when we start to encounter things that aren't right or unjust, be they big or small, we have to face them. Mm. And I've met very few people who do that intuitively, comfortably, successfully. It's hard. Is it self-esteem, a deep belief in yourself? You don't just blow things up. How do you actually bring people on your side? And I've had to learn the lesson as a younger person. It would be, well, I'm just resigning and I'm walking out of this role. Mm -hmm. Versus how do you sit in your discomfort? navigate it, learn from it, and start to push back in ways that are more strategic. And I feel like the older I get, the easier it becomes to navigate that. You can't do things on your own. We can't be superwoman. You just need lots of other women around you, lots of other men around you that are allies that can carry you and your message versus trying to aspire to be that superwoman Beyonce. So the Beyonce superwoman is, I'm off the charts professionally successful. I'm possibly the best version of me that ever lived. Mm. I'm ridiculously successful personally. I juggle family. I have this partnership, you know. That's the image that mm. every single element of my life is just perfect. Perfect. We now have anything's possible. But with that comes this kind of anything's possible, so why are you struggling with it? Yes. So is there this kind of double-edged sword of, wow, the sky's the limit, and so why do I feel like shit? You know, exactly. that I'm not a good mother, or I'm not a good wife, or I'm not a good this, or I'm not a good that. That's exactly you summing up exactly how I feel. It's so hard to be superwoman in every aspect of your life. And people say, well, you have this dream job. You travel the world. You're the boss lady. But it's hard. It's sweat and tears and you can't be good at everything. I find like I sacrifice a lot in my personal life. I try to like be the good wife, you know, <laughs> and I just fail. I just don't <laughs> succeed. And I feel like as women, we just do the Beyonce thing. Like things are great. Everything's going wonderfully. Mm. I'm trying to be a lot more honest with people around me in workspaces and in professional spaces about just how hard it is to actually keep it all together and to tell people, actually, things are difficult for me right now at home. 
but we're not allowed to say that. Every single box is supposed to be ticked. You're superwoman and you have to be great CEO, but you also have to be a great wife and a great daughter-in-law and a great daughter and a great, I mean, my family life suffers because of my job. Is the feedback from outside that we have a problem here or is it you saying, can I, can I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not superwoman at home. I want to be Beyonce at home. <laughs> I feel like I'm not my best self that I right. could be. Is that you telling yourself that story or do you just tell yourself that you're not good enough? If I was talking to my younger self, I'd say, love more, love harder, go start that family. You know, for me, it was climb the ladder and then, oh my word, I forgot to have children. And it feels like I've lost out a bit in terms of that piece. And the reality is our male counterparts understood, of course, there's a sacrifice. Mm. I mean, they haven't gone out and killed it and gone back home to raise families in the way that you're describing. You know, their contribution to their family was to provide. Yes. And they understood that. So they didn't have that dialogue of, shit, I have to provide and I want to be there. I yes. want to be an emotional contributor to this family. This is this new angle of I'm supposed to be hugely successful and somehow be this emotional center piece <laughs> of a family. We're trying to do something that hasn't been done, mm. be an absolute superstar professionally and still occupy a role at home that is essentially a full-time job. Yes. You can't. And so we are constantly having this dialogue that's so familiar to all of us, which is I'm not enough and I've failed. Which I thought we'd be further than, like, yeah. it's 2018. We can't be having this conversation with ourselves. But we are. Our internal psyche <laughs> is just not playing the no, game. It's like, still the same. I beat myself up all the time. Mm -hmm. I just feel bad. I feel bad that I'm late, that I said I was going to be home six o'clock and it's getting to seven o'clock and I haven't cooked a nice meal and it's going to just be takeout again. No one's reprimanding me. I'm reprimanding myself. Yeah. I think about how I pictured my life to be and it just feels like I'm falling short all the time. I'm really struck by a story of a young woman who hadn't seen white people before, <laughs> who now flies around the world. You know, Incredible story. I mean, you have reinvented yourself yep. quite wholly. And yet there's this sense of an emptiness, a dissatisfaction. One version of the story is that you're energized and yes, I wanted to try and influence the world. I am influencing the world. I'm here. I'm where I wanted to be. Does that voice feed you and sustain you? through what is mm. a very difficult personal journey of navigating being a successful woman. I mean, I am proud of myself in terms of what I've done. I draw a lot out of this little girl from the township that managed to achieve so much. This is like someone from the Cape Flats where gang violence was what I grew up around. Teenage pregnancy, people beating each other up, killing each other, not having great prospects. And I'm in a role where I get to contribute to change. And that does drive me. But the conflict I feel as well. So the story I tell myself is, wow, you've actually done this. Like my grandmother would be so proud of me from where she came from 
the women before me, I'm walking on their shoulders, would never have dreamt. But there's still that moment of, am I doing enough? I could be so much better. Am I really doing everything that I can do with the opportunity I've been given? Because so few people get this opportunity. Am I doing everything that I can to open up the path for others like me? That's what keeps me up at night. And I need to bring those voices to that table. I spoke about, am I bringing the right voices and the right perspectives into the room? Or am I bringing my Houghton middle class (laughs) voice into the room? Or am I channeling the stuff I care about most deeply? And who do I channel when I'm at home in my personal life and with my family? I feel like I carry that as well. And I'm not quite the insider there anymore. I can quickly go back into my Cape Flat self, but I'm not quite that. So the insider-outsider piece for me is the hardest piece. And I feel the most real when I'm probably with my partner because he knows me. He knows all of me. He knows the me that was a student at university, toy-toying and throwing stones. And he knows the me that I am now. And my family knows me the insecure little girl and who I am now I think but the contradiction is I end up spending very little time with those people who know the real authentic me. You know each one of those pieces is you and so it's almost like just acknowledging them Yes, might be enough to say the moments when you're in the boardroom and you just reference your past reference your family yes and to say actually there's a profound connection for me between the two yes and it influences how I relate to you you will never lose that young woman who was toy-toying she's why you are approaching this job differently than anybody else would Mm. you know I think I'm a lot more authentic now It's this age thing Mm. because I'm getting older and I think it's important that younger women see that. That's what being real is about. When I bring all of me to the job, it's when I'm at my most creative, my most passionate and I'm at my most effective. I'm fundamentally flawed in so many ways. Now I can tell people that, you know, I struggle. This is my OCD coming out and we all laugh about it. I own that in a way that's real now before I try to cover up all my flaws. And that's the fear of someone's going to tap you on the shoulder saying you don't belong here. Now I'm like, yes, I know, they know. I've told them all (laughs) this is my issue. (laughs) And I try to bring the personal, the political, the professional together. Mm. And I think it's that feminist perspective of making the personal political Mm. and bringing the professional, personal and political together. It's a hard lesson I've learned people are looking for leaders who are authentic. They're looking for people to admit that I'm not Beyonce. (laughs) And Beyonce isn't Beyonce. She's got a whole team of people making Beyonce Beyonce. And I think it's being comfortable with the different parts of you and you play different roles. I'm a very different person in different spaces. That doesn't mean I'm not authentic. Actually, I need to just be comfortable with the different parts of me coming together in a way that's going to be messy. And sometimes it's going to be messy in a good way and it's going to be creative chaos. And sometimes it's not going to be that good. We put so much pressure on ourselves as leaders to know everything and to not be struggling with anything. And we have to start with ourselves. I can't tell anyone clean up sexual harassment in your organization 
if we haven't done that within Ford Foundation, if we haven't talked about race and gender transformation and diversity and inclusion, yep. then I have the legitimacy to go out there and say, you know, this is hard. This is what we struggled with. This is how we've done it. What are you doing? What are we all doing? Things are a bit messed up in society at the moment. Women are being treated badly. Let's all sit and introspect around what we're not doing right. And I think it starts with this kind of personal introspection. Mm. You know, the collective introspection must be built on owning your own complexity, your own chaos. But it's incredibly difficult to do in a world where we're rewarded for efficiency and effectiveness. You're talking about personal transformation. Your story is somebody who's on the surface done it. <laughs> yeah, this is a success story, right? But underneath that is somebody struggling with the psychic scars that you're carrying forward, the competing expectations. And what you've been talking about is owning who you are in all of its chaos, in all of its complexity, and using that as a platform to be the best change maker that you can be. And transformation is an internal process and it's a collective process. Yeah. I think we're in a moment in the world where we need to ask who are we and what are we standing for and what are we going to do and what does transformation look like? So what does your transformation look like? I mean, where do you go from here in terms of your own sense of purpose and agenda as it relates to these conversations? The place that for you might feel meaningful and more whole? I have achieved a lot, but I feel like there's more to do. I keep taking on different roles based on where I think the levers of change are. Mm -hmm. I want to reflect more. I need space to introspect. I am getting to the age where I want to give back to another generation, where I want to play a role with other younger women and be the kind of leader and mentor that I never had maybe and a space where I can bring together the personal, the professional, the political. Part of me feels like I just need a holiday <laughs> and I'm burnt out. A long one. But the long-term picture is I feel like we don't write about our experiences and share our experiences more broadly? How do you encourage more women leaders to talk about their experiences, to talk about transformation, to talk about social justice in a real way and an authentic way, warts and all? Mm -hmm. That's what I'd like to see happening. And I'm going to stop trying to be Beyonce at home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop trying to be superwoman. I'm going to be comfortable with failure and learning and refining and becoming a better, more authentic me. And spending a lot more time on the personal. Beautiful. I see you smiling. No, it's just lovely. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. I think it's where we are right now. Coming together of a desire to be a fuller expression of Makes you everything. a better leader. I feel like I become better as a leader the more I embrace all these parts of me. Whereas there was a notion, and I don't know if it's a generational thing, where we tried to emulate men in the boardroom. And so it was no emotion, be strong. I'm at a place now where I'm being a lot more comfortable with this. That it's not weakness. It's not weakness. Before it would have yeah, been... Yeah, it's associated with weakness. How could you possibly cry or be emotional in front of your team? Mm -hmm. I'm at a space now where that makes me real. Yep. That sharing the personal part of my life or what's going on for me is strength. It's not weakness. And I like that part of me. Yeah, when you stop hiding 
you don't realize how much energy went into hiding. <laughs> yes. It's until you stop hiding. Yes. And then there's this, oh, it's okay. It's okay. I don't have to tie it all up and show up with a sheen on me. This is enough in all of its permutations. I mean, that is unbelievably liberating. Not only is it enough, but I am wonderful at things. You then have to take the next step to yes. say there's some little piece that is uniquely me and I'm going to own that and let it fly. And and you think that you've done that because you've been the switched on woman. But actually, if you really uh -huh. stop and reflect, every room you've walked into, you've tried to leave just as calm as it was when you walked in. Every conversation, you've tried to make sure that nobody was pissed off because of you. Yes, you can <sighs> exhale and you can just liberate yourself from all that tension. For the first time in my life, I'm excited about getting old. <laughs> I'm excited about the fact that one day I'm going to be old and I'm going to be wise. So now I'm looking forward to sitting on a stoop somewhere <laughs> in a chair, <laughs> sharing stories with people mm. about my life. Whereas before there was this fear of, will I have achieved enough? Will I have had all the accolades that I need? Now I see myself it's going to be sitting in the sun somewhere and maybe there'll be lots of children running around, but I'll be telling stories about things I've done in my life, mistakes I've made, and not be chasing the next big dream. And I think the older we get, the more comfortable we are with not chasing after something yeah. elusive. Yeah. Well, today you sat in the sun and you <laughs> shared a story of what you've achieved and what you've learned, and women will hear it and say, wow, I don't have to be Beyonce. <laughs> so I want to thank you for doing this because, you know, I can say for me personally, every time I have a conversation with another woman, I get reassured. I'm not the only one. Yep. So thank you. And I just appreciate your honesty. I really do. I draw so much from hearing you share and hearing other women share. So thank you for doing this. This series has been one of the great honors of my life. In my chair, when I'm 70, I will say, <laughs> I had the opportunity to sit with some people who are living their lives fully and with great thoughtfulness and purpose, and I don't know if there's anything more than that. Thank you. I feel like Nicolette just voiced so much of what goes on in the minds of women as we navigate our careers. All of the uncertainty, insecurity, guilt, and anxiety. This definitely feels like a conversation for our times that strikes right at the heart of race, gender, and power. And to be reminded that we aren't alone in these experiences and that patriarchy touches us all, no matter our background or achievements. Here's a woman who by anyone's measure is successful, who's done everything right, working her way out of South Africa's townships to the upper echelons of global power and influence. Who, like most women, and as Nicolette describes particularly black women, has felt that she needs to work twice as hard as everyone else to gain respect and confidence. And yet still, she doubts herself. Nicolette raises questions not about what success looks like, but about what it actually feels like to strive for it, and about the personal toll and sacrifices along the way. We can have all the success in the world, but if we, and society, keep telling ourselves that we aren't good enough, like we have to do it all, and do it perfectly, we will never feel like we've arrived, when in fact, we arrived such a long time ago. Courageous Conversations is supported by the Ford Foundation and produced by Jen Warren, with music courtesy of Benjamin Verdery. Follow us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Search for Courageous Conversations. You can also visit gillianreilly.com slash podcasts for more information or to listen online. And we have a new website. Visit soundpage.fm slash courageous conversations. Thanks for listening.